So, Johan, uh, you know, comparatively last year to this year, did you see a big difference or, you know, um, was this, you know, just I mean, just the number of people and of course the events last year, I mean, there was nothing. I mean, we were the good thing about last year was that I really could really talk to everyone at the festival. There were a couple hundred people and that's it. And uh, as I was sitting there and, you know, like, like having a coffee or something. And suddenly, like, I realized that the guy sitting next to me is running, I don't know, like A24 or something like that. So it was kind of like weird. <laughs> it was weird because it was such a, it was super, I mean, Fantastic Fest per se is a very community oriented and community driven event. And it's it's all about community and meeting people and networking and, and having a fun time. But last year, I had the feeling of like, although not that many people were there because of COVID, it was like this, this like meeting people and community experience was amplified by a hundred or something like that. So yeah. it was, it was super, it was super interesting last year, but this year it felt more like the craziness that I heard of, heard about. <laughs> and I mean, I got, I got to see like Tim Leake being punched in the face by some guy in a boxing ring. And <laughs> oh, really? Tim, Tim, Tim Leake is this like feisty little squirrel. Like he's like, he hit the guy in the face like four times. I, I couldn't believe it. So, but then who, who does he think he is? Uwe Boll? Pardon? Does he think he's Uwe Boll now? You know, I, 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 maybe no, but he, so they have that thing where uh, in uh, uh, they're doing those debates, you know. So where you have two people that debate about something, like in the case of 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 Tim's Lee, Tim Leake's fight, it was like they were debating if like VHS is the best format ever or if VHS should finally die. And and uh, and Tim Leake was on the side of that VHS should finally die because it's a horrible medium for archival and and all that stuff. And he's a big archivist. Yeah. And so so they were having this like three four minute debates, and then the next level, the second part of the debate is like really boxing, and they punch each other's faces in a boxing ring, and uh, and they did it with like they had they had four rounds, they had four debates and four boxing matches, and it was. Um, Interesting to see nerds trying to hit each other's faces. And Tim Leake took like six months of boxing lessons really? for the whole thing. So no wonder he punched the guy in the face four times. Yeah, He's, he's a little guy, but, uh, you know, like you said, he's, he's wiry, a little squirrely, you know? Wiry, squirrely, yes, feisty. He's like, like a, he's, he's like this, like, a, he's like if you put the... If you put a rattlesnake and a squirrel in, into Seth Brundle's teleporter and and yeah. well, you know, Ricky Tiki Tivy mongoose, you know that's it. That's <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, oh, wait, you, you no, I was going to say, you know, Tim League. He, uh, we have an Alamo out here in the San Francisco Bay Area, and he used to come out a lot. And we were homies with one of the old uh, film coordinators there. And they would go out, and when Jackass 2 was released, they would do this thing they called the Jackass shot, where they would go to a bar, order a shot of tequila, and with the salt and the lime, instead of like putting it on their hand, they would snort the salt and then squirt the lime in their eyes before they took it. So he he's a party dude. Oh, I, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. We yeah. saw the when when we we they had a uh, special event which we were like what a giant theater theater one at the Alamo New Mission in San Francisco beautiful theater and Johannes if you have a chance to go to San Francisco go to that theater it's wonderful oh um, I, I, I've been I've been to San Francisco yeah. I, I I ran a sex and tech conference in San Francisco for ten years that's the place to do it 
I, 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 I know my shit. Like I know everything. I know San Francisco. I know central Florida concerning masking threshold. I know every fucking olive garden in the state. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I will certainly not poke your knowledge of central Florida. I'll let you have that. Um, but, uh, at, but at I've also point, been to the olive garden in San Francisco. Uh, so it's like, I honestly, I have an obsession with the Olive Garden uh, that I can talk about later, but, but there's something Write that down. very creepy about like, uh, this kind of like American, you know, like systemic gastronomy thing going on okay. with like we, Olive we, Gardens and Red Lobsters and all that, all that stuff, but it doesn't matter, but, but, we'll go back, uh, we'll but, go back but to good, good to know. I've never been to the Alamo, uh, draft house in San Francisco before, but it's I'll beautiful. definitely put it on my, on my list. And um, they had a special event, which we, at a 300 seat theater or 200, 327, I think 300 yeah. seat theater. Yeah. There were about 30 people that showed up to this all day event. And it was a Burt Reynolds movie marathon. And Tim League flew out for it um, and hung out with our buddy there. And Tim League had uh, he made it very well known that he was going because uh, we started at like 10 o'clock in the morning. And he was going to eat Frosted Flakes, uh, but instead of in lieu of milk, it was going to be substituted with a porter. And so he had beer with his Frosted Flakes. And then nice. the next movie, he said that was uh, he greatly regretted that. Is it was not good. <laughs> well, but you have to have those experiences. You, you have, have to, that spirit. You have to make mistakes. You know, like it's like. Uh, How do we grow? How do we grow? It's like it's like, it's like babies want to touch plutonium. You know, like you, you gotta <laughs> let them. They, they 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 need to do that so to to grow. You know. So was that a Trump joke? <laughs> it's good. I mean, it is it is hard to make a joke and not think about Trump. I, I think know. Trump is absorbing all kinds of jokes and spitting out fascism. But uh, he's still number one on the headlines, man. You <laughs> know, when, yeah. when you've got it, you've got it. He's got yeah. that charisma. Um, oh my! <laughs> anything else on uh, Alamo? I want to go in a completely different direction. All right, so, so we'll we'll, yeah. we'll wrap up Fantastic Fest. I will say though that I'm I'm knee deep in Fantastic Fest right now as I'm doing the uh, at home festival. So yeah. uh, was able so, to I catch. Mean, the, yeah. the, the cool thing is, I mean, I mean, so it's all connected because I mean, Tim Leake saw my film Masking Threshold uh, like last year. And liked it so much, and 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 the team liked it so much that that like it ended up getting released by Draft House Films, which is like I still cannot believe this. Congratulations! Is yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, Jesus fucking fuck fuck. And uh, so and and so when when I talked to Tim Lee last year about what I'm doing, in passing, I mentioned that I'm running this festival with some friends in Austria. Uh, called Robo Exotica, which is the festival for cocktail robotics. So we, we every for for twenty four years now, we invite people to to Vienna to build machines and contraptions and robots that serve cocktails or mix cocktails or have bar conversations, you know, that kind of stuff. And Tim Leake fell in, <laughs> fell in love with the idea uh, completely and said, like, here, take my money. So he flew us over to this year's Fantastic Fest. Uh, to present some cocktail robots at the Alamo Draft House, which was super fun until Texas alcohol shut us down because we <laughs> we just like we broke some local laws. I don't even know. This uh, is litigious, man. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. They even shut down our pancake machine. You know, like that, there's not even alcohol. It's like Texas alcohol, tobacco, and pancakes or something. I don't know. So. Uh, but but that was super fun, and I, I honestly didn't expect that my new film would be finished on time. So Rat's Nest, which is screening now on Fantastic Fest at home, 
uh, also got kind of like a world premiere at Fantastic Fest, which is just like so. At the, so I'm like the one baby is just like I'm, I'm wiping the placenta off of of Rat's Nest because it's just like so fresh and the first reviews are coming in. And the other baby, Masking Threshold, gets uh, gets a theatrical release and a streaming release in the U.S. And so, so, so that fucker is learning to crawl. It seems at the moment. <laughs> and uh, so, so I mean, I couldn't be more happy. So, pa. <laughs> well, do you have another baby in the oven? You know, because now you've got these two toddlers around. There, you know, what's uh, what's the next step here? Well, the next step is like I'm 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 working on a film that hopefully will be finished. Uh, that that's that's one that because Rat's Nest was just like so fast. I mean, I had the idea on the 31st of January, and the film was finished in mid of June. So that just happened because I just got obsessed with it and wanted to do it. So that was super fast. And the one film I'm working on right now is a very nerdy documentary. Uh, and, uh, it's, uh, I'm working on that for two years now, or, or like almost, almost as long as, 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 as masking threshold or like around, like I started in, in early March, 2020. And that one is called hacking at leaves and it will hopefully be done by January or February, something like that. So that's, uh, it's, it's not a horror film. It's a documentary, but it's about horrific things. So it's, uh, it's talking, you know, it's about genocide, uh, the Native American population, uh, like COVID, uh, and also hacker spaces, which can be very horrible at times. And, uh, so, so that, that's a completely different, different, uh, way of storytelling than, of course, uh, masking threshold. Yeah. Now, all right. That's really interesting. So is, is it going to be a faux doc or are you going full nonfiction? With your no, no, it is. And I, I have done documentaries before. I mean, yeah. they're not classic documentaries. They're not like I'm not doing the Errol Morris thing. It's kind of boring. And uh, <laughs> How so, dare you? Uh, <laughs> I'm just joking. Errol Morris is great. <laughs> I mean, Fog of War is still one of the best direct, oh, yeah. uh, documentaries ever made. So like what I'm not. I'm you not meant to say it. Frederick Wiseman. <laughs> nah, <laughs> nah. So, so I, I've done the documentary before. Like my first feature film in 2016 was a documentary about nerd culture called Trace Route. Uh, so where I'm pretty much like trying. It's 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 a very personal story about myself growing up as a nerd. There wasn't even a term for that. What I was in the 1980s in Austria, and at some point I realized, oh, well, I'm a nerd. That's what I am. And uh, and uh, so so it's called Trace Route. Like the uh, uh, like like the computer uh, command uh, because I wanted to kind of like analyze. It's almost like a self-reflective, very autobiographical uh, documentary about me being a nerd, but it's also trying to find interesting nerdy characters that I like, or that for me represent what the, what the good side of nerddom is. So, so the positive, subversive, interesting aspects of nerddom. And it, uh, and it's a, it's a, um, um, uh, it's a road. Uh, it, it, it's a road trip documentary. So I'm 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 going to different locations in the U.S. from the West Coast to the East Coast, and uh, interviewing people about but all all kinds of 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 interesting nerdy things those people are doing. And and it's it's a it's a it's a it's a wide variety of things. So for example, I I interviewed Varka, who is uh, one of the heads of Bad Dragon. They are doing this like. Um, uh, this like fantasy dildos, like werewolf dildos and, and, and ah. basilisk vaginas and, and stuff like that. So, so stuff like that. But, but, but also I, I talked to, um, uh, the guys at, 
at the Stan Winston School for for uh, for character arts and stuff like that. So so I, I talked to the son of of, of Stan Winston and, and and stuff like that. So it was it was a very a very positive um, uh, out view on like that. There is more to nerd culture than you know like Gamergate or whatever you you want to talk oh, about. <laughs> and and uh, and so and masking thresholds uh, now. Uh, is almost like the opposite thing. Masking Threshold is a horror film, so it's so it's fiction. Uh, it's a horror film, but it's uh, it's about the dark sides of the nerd. So what happens if someone who is a very declared nerdy, scientifically minded, skeptical personality, but has so many character quirks or traumas uh, he cannot deal with that that like he ends up kind of like over the edge he goes down the wrong path and uh like a good hp lovecraft story uh of course it doesn't end well and you kind of know it from the beginning <laughs> so so in a certain way there is a connection between my first feature film or documentary trace route and and masking threshold now because they are both dealing with with nerddom and obsessiveness and and trauma and that kind of stuff but of course in completely different ways so masking threshold might even be called a cautionary tale of like not sinking into your desk and uh, considering there is a world around you and social interactions that might actually save your fucking life. <laughs> wow. Hey, beautiful. You really nailed it, man. And I, okay. So a little bit of context, I think you came into our world when we were programming for a five, the unnamed footage festival, the fifth edition. Are you familiar with our film fest? Oh, I am. I am. I, okay. I remember it. I, I remember getting an email from one of your, one of your folks saying like, "Hey, it seems that your film might fit into our uh, like universe." So, <laughs> could you send us a screener link, and I, 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 I sent it to you, and I was super happy that you accepted it. I do. I do believe one of our programmers. I think it was Madeline reached out. Uh -huh. And I think yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, here's one of the things that I love is whenever a film comes into our orbit and we have to have a conversation of if it is an in-world camera narrative. So, you know, our fest kind of grew out of general audiences not really appreciating the different kind of narrative approach that the Blair Witch took. Like there's a lot you can pull from a movie like the Blair Witch that a regular studio Hollywood film can't really touch on. Like the fact that the whole craft is made by a character. So every edit, every camera zoom, every aspect of filmmaking is now being informed by a character in the movie. Mm -hmm. So we looked at your film and we're like, I don't know, because you're you're with masking threshold. You could almost make an argument that it's like a a film about like inner thoughts and that none of it could be real. And it could be like a desk jockey who's just fantasizing and deep in his mind. There are a couple moments where there's like external cameras of the dude uh, working on everything. And we had to have a conversation of like, well, maybe he's filming himself. And I'm curious at any point, was it, was it part of the art that you had made to be like an in-world camera? Like, do you imagine that he is filming himself? Oh yes, 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 okay. I did. There are a couple of moments where I really, so I'm, I'm, I'm very peculiar and picky about certain things. So there are a couple of moments when I thought like, this is actually not really possible. He could not alone <laughs> film himself in that way. Yeah. Yeah. But but for for narrative reasons, I decided it's better to just like 
yeah, suspension of disbelief. Let, let, let's do it because it just looks better and it, and it helps uh, it, it engage the audience with the character. Uh, so a couple of things are technically not very clear and 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 are strange like for 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 him being alone in that room and only filming himself or filming filming the desk but in general the idea was always that he is uh recording some kind of um uh, like like chronological form of experiment so okay, he's, yeah. he's he's using the camera and he's of course he's in the beginning he's explaining the, uh, the whole tech setup and he shows the black magic camera and everything. So he says like, yeah, well, I'm going on this quest now. I'm documenting everything. And so, so that it's almost like a YouTube channel, a, a YouTube recording. So at some points he even says like, I'm, I'm going to upload my findings to YouTube. So in a certain way, I think the artificiality or, or strangeness of his, uh, of his commentary or, or his monologue are because you kind of never really know is the guy talking to himself or is the guy talking to an audience on a potential YouTube channel of some kind. So there is always this performative aspect in his speaking. And I'm, I'm super happy with Ethan Haslam, who, who, who voiceover, who vo his, his voiceover work is, is, is really great. And I'm super happy with it. And that, that he always has this like strange balance between there's this like, crazy guy that is kind of like babbling with himself, mm -hmm. but he's also babble performing for this potential YouTube audience out there. So there's this, uh, yeah. And, and I, for me, I think it is found footage because that's why I put this like little end credit scene in, in the very end of the film where the police officers in Apopka, yeah. the small town it's supposed to set in kind of like discover like uh, his recordings uh, and you never know what parts he actually uploaded to YouTube and what parts he only had on his camera or on his computer or something. But but they're watching the film then to find out what happened. So for, for me, that was kind of like something I wanted to put in. So to be very clear that, well, there is a foundness, <laughs> a found, foot, found footage-ness <laughs> to the whole thing. <laughs> But I mean, you talk about the the actor you had to do the VO for your film. I mean, from his perspective and possibly from your perspective, I'd like to hear from uh, that. Like he's essentially performing, you know, a book on tape like he's he's essentially reading um, a novel. So it's, it's, it's a short story, I would call it. it, yeah. Is, it is, yeah. Yeah. And they always say, yeah, like, you know, like you, you can't you can't compress a novel into a film. Uh, but a short story works quite well, you know, sure. uh, and in a certain way, I took that quite literally. So it's like I kind of like uh, I, I wrote the short story and and the short story is the film, so to speak. Yeah, man. And now I, I'm going to be completely honest with you. When we got the film, I think I was the only one who was a little weary about showing it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because of just I know where you live. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize. Hey. I uh, I believe I wrote it on Letterbox. How wrong <laughs> I was, because you know, here's where I'm coming from. When we were uh, in cheers to that, I'm doing my favorite thing in the United States: drinking uh, iced tea out of a like a gallon. Or yeah, something. <laughs> we call that the uh, the jug. Ah, I love it, America, USA. No, oh, yeah. he's got the Milo's. Is that sweet or unsweet? It is. Uh, it's the one with the with the chemicals. It is uh, sweet but oh. zero. So, 
<laughs> He's going so, yeah, in. Here, so let me explain myself. I was worried about showing masking threshold because the way that I'm built, I constantly need to be around people. I don't like being alone. Like, I guess I am the, you know, the example or the perfect example of an extrovert. I'm the opposite of that. I well, in film. Everybody's introverted. And I used to call myself that, too. But clearly it's not true. And when I watched your film, it scared me because it felt very um, self-reflective or I don't know, self-aware in, um, you know, I guess the epidemic of or the epidemic of like agoraphobia. And I had a lot of friends who I thought were pretty much in line with what was happening in this movie. Like you, you get so isolated and you start like building on weird thoughts. And by the time somebody, you know, looks in, it's like, wait, who are you now? Yeah. yeah. And I was kind of like, I don't know, man, this movie's kind of dark. Should we show it? Everybody else was like, we got to. And now even when we brought it there uh, to the beautiful Balboa theater, the projectionist, they always do this thing whenever they're they're testing our movies, they'll come up and they'll ask about the one that that stood out the most. And it was masking threshold. They're like, dude, the fuck's up with this movie? They're like, you know, because all of the employees were telling each other, you got to come back for that one. Like, come back from us. And I was just I was like, whoa, I was completely wrong because I looked into it and I, you know, it reminded me of all the conversations I had with my friends where I'm kind of like, hey, dude, are you doing OK? Like, what's going on over there? Like, you need to get out of the house. And they would be, they'd snap or they'd get like, they'd be biting at me like an angry dog yeah. or something. So I thought that would be the reaction. Dude, the crowd fucking loved masking threshold. and Which so- is so weird. It is so weird. Because honestly, when I made the film, it, it's actually true also for Rat's Nest, which is also uh, like a, a found footage film of sorts. But with both films, uh, I finished the film. You see the first time with your crew, on a big screen, you know, like to test the audio and if the surround sound works and all this stuff. So you watch it together. And I, I saw Masking Threshold, same, I saw Rat's Nest. And in both cases, I was so happy with the outcome. It was so close to what I wanted it to be. And you see that and you feel this like proudness, you know, like this pride of like, ah, fuck, yeah, it is, it is what it should be. Yeah? And this next thought is like, who the fuck? wants to see this you know (laughs) which is of course the point when suddenly your baby is born but now you kind of have like look at my baby it's so nice and it's like that's an ugly baby i'm not interested in your fucking ugly baby like it's time to abort it still (laughs) but I, i had that feeling a lot so so i honestly could not believe how well the film was received also in the horror community uh, because because the horror community can be so incredibly conservative. Mm-hmm. And if you see like on Letterboxd and, and, and IMDb, the horror films, even if they're classics, you know, they always have worse reviews and worse ratings than, for example, science fiction films or other genres. Oh, okay. Uh, be, because I think that horror film nerds and, and, and geeks are at the same time always looking for something new but at the same time, if something is new, they hate it. <laughs> you know, there's this like strange balance. It's almost like this dance of like how much more, how much innovation will they take? And uh, yeah, in the case of Masking Threshold, on the uh, on the narration level, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, there is it's just like from here to there. That's it. Uh, and it's it, it, it's very it's very clear. Uh, 
And uh, but but on, on on the visual side with the macro shots and everything, it is it is very experimental. So I was thinking, oh my god! So it's it's not an art house movie, and it's not a real horror movie. So it's somewhere in between, and all the art house people will hate it, and all the horror people will hate it. So that's what that was my 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 first thought of like fuck. I'm I'm when you like when you see the first rejections are coming in from film festivals and it's like oh shit they are not taking it maybe it's really bad you, you never know you know and uh but but in the end I'm I'm so happy that that that, uh, that the journey it took <laughs> oh yeah I you know I was so proud when I was at the Alamo last week and I saw the trailer for it play oh yeah I was like holy shit and I, I think I was as shocked as you were of how it's like kind of captured. I don't know. I feel like your film is a true think piece of like how. <sighs> All right. So I think a lot of people now are scared of like thought and the internet. And I think there's this idea of like message boards can corrupt you. Like if you end up on 8chan or something, you might become an evil person. Yeah. And I feel like your film kind of dips into that where we're hearing this dude who I think you succinctly put it could be the character in a Lovecraft story. And he's really pushing this theory to its breaking point. And, you know, it, it's getting darker and darker and he's starting to take lives along the path. And I just, I think people feel like they can be infected by that, even if it is just a work of fiction, but, you know, I'm curious now because I've been looking into you as like a, uh, I don't know, Johannes, would you say you're a provocateur or more of like a philosopher when it comes to like tech and art? Oh, that is a good question. I mean, I always had this feeling that I was interested in certain things and uh, they were, I mean, so so I grew up, as mentioned before, in this like little shithole, like shit nest, as we say it in German, this shit nest <laughs> uh, uh, in, 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 in Austria. And I was interested in so many things that that no one else was interested in. So very early on, I'm, I'm a kind of like an early adopter. And there is also, of course, a certain level of privilege to that because my dad could simply afford it to buy me a computer that early on. So I was online the first time on my own computer in 1988. So I'm kind of like very early on, uh, 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 like digital native. And over and that was so wonderful for me to be online because I could suddenly talk to people in San Francisco or wherever and have conversations about my favorite uh, TV shows or, or or science fiction books or or I read, you know, like Neuromancer back then and, and that kind of stuff. But no one in my friend circle, they all wanted to play soccer. I hate soccer. <laughs> right there with you. Fuck soccer. <laughs> all kinds of like sports that you can watch on, on, on a TV are all boring. American American football is like half an hour of waiting for like one minute of gameplay, and 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 soccer is just like anyhow. So I was not interested. So so so, but I was I was interested in kind of like this like weird science fiction stories and things, and 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 was super early on like interested in cyberpunk and that kind of stuff. And, and because of cyberpunk, I kind of became a punk. So when I was like 16, 17, I became part of Antifa and, and, and was very uh, kind of like open, openly political about things. But it was also the time when, when I realized that technology is kind of like shaping the future yeah. and all my, my, my leftist, you know, like Antifa friends and, and, and revolutionaries, like whatever you can be when you're 16, you know, like, you're yeah. just, of course, 
so they were all super anti-technology. They were like, no, I, we don't want to touch this. It's just like surveilling us. And 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 I had the fear. That's why I started Monochrome our, 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 as, as a fanzine uh, and as a message board, uh, like in the early 1990s, because I had this feeling of like, I need to talk to people about what I think about the world. So I need to educate people about that technology is of course not neutral, but it's also not necessarily bad. And we have to shape the communities of the future. So, and I think to a certain degree, why the internet looks like it, 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 it does right now is because, because so many kind of like hardcore libertarian assholes were shaping its discourse in the 1990s. All the people who read Wired and, and that kind of stuff, they were all online and they were shaping the communities and they were shaping the infrastructure of, of the World Wide Web. And because, because so many people on the left uh, or progressive side didn't want to touch it or didn't want to have a cell phone or whatever it is, I think there, there, there's a lost opportunity. And I was kind of fighting because I knew it would probably be happening. So and I, I was fighting that. And so monochrome, to, to a certain degree, happened because I wanted to find ways to educate people in an entertaining way about things that they should be interested in but are not interested in. So I'm not sure I would call it like that I'm, I'm a philosopher or something like that. I mean, I read a lot of books and stuff like that, but I was always an educator to a certain yeah. degree. I always wanted to, to, to let people know about things and because nobody wants to read anymore, nobody like everyone thinks like they in, in German we say the Weiss had mit Löffeln gefressen haben. So everyone thinks that that they ate spoonfuls of wisdom. That's that's the, the idiom <laughs> in German, you know. Yeah. Uh, so you kind of have to trick them. You kind of have to find kind of like uh, in, in the meantime, I think I would call it viral. But you have to find interesting ways to make people interested in in something. Uh, so, and, and there are certain media that work super well for that. I mean, I would probably not use experimental poetry to, to, <laughs> to, 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 to convey, uh, like educational messages. But I mean, movies, for example, that's mm -hmm. why, like, over the years, I, I started gravitating towards movies is because movies are just like non-bullshit, low entry form of art. Yep. And there is this like cultural grammar that we all understand because we grew up with it. And if you go to it, my mother always told me the story that when I, I did my first gallery show in the late nineties with monochrome, she didn't want to go there because quote, I didn't know what I should wear. So there is this like <laughs> strange boundary or barrier around the classic art spaces, galleries, you know, like theaters, like not movie theaters, but, you know, like uh, theaters for, 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 for stage plays. And so th there is a strange form of this like bourgeois, uh, like force field around certain spheres of art. You're completely right. But what, and, and, and with movies, I mean, movies, it's not movies no. like no, no, but my mother, of course, she would watch whatever she's, she's watching because she does, she doesn't fear that she, she doesn't understand it or wouldn't understand it or something. Of course she has, like, we all have certain tastes and we have, we, we like certain films and we don't like other films, but no one of us is afraid of like going into a movie theater. No. So there is this like popular, wonderful aspect of films that is like super interesting for, for, for sending messages. And, and there, I mean, James Cameron gets a lot of, 
<laughs> it, it gets a lot of hate, but I think he is he's a true auteur because I mean he has a certain political message in almost every one of his films. I mean he has billions and dollars of budget, but I mean Titanic. I mean you can complain about Titanic as long as you like, but it is probably one of the few films about the class differences uh, in the early 20th century that people wanted to watch. <laughs> you know? And it's, it's uh, so there, there is, it's not only a film about like a sinking ship, but it's a film about, about how oppression works or, or class structure works and, one, and that kind of stuff. And one and, would say yeah. that he used a ship as his vessel. To, to oh, oh yeah, that's oh my god! Thank you, I get mind blown from Russell. <laughs> I, it, sorry, he's touching on so much interesting stuff. I wanted to make notes and give you a moment to jump in there. Sorry, yeah. I just, I'm looking for jokes at any. Okay, uh, but you know, Johannes, you, you you said a lot of interesting things there. But what is your relationship though, and your what do you think your responsibility as a filmmaker uh-huh. with entertainment, opposed to you know thought provoking? interesting cinema well i mean of course i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't for example um uh, i'm giving the question back to you do you guys think that masking threshold is entertaining or is it do you do you think it is it is trying to deliberately piss people off or something like that what what do you think go ahead okay um no again you you with us specifically, you're talking to two grizzled old <laughs> veterans, all right, who have spent half a decade, you know, running a film festival, have seen a lot of films. And, you know, I feel like half the movies we see, you know, come in on screener links, at least. And so we see a lot of stuff. So there's a lot, lot coming mm-hmm. in. Some mm-hmm. stuff stays. A lot goes right out. Masking Threshold is going to, it, it stays in there. So mm-hmm. it sticks. So my thing is, it's it's hard for me to speak in absolutes in terms of, you know, this, that, and the other thing, because there's we live in a lot of, there's always going to be gray, and it's not black and yeah. white. And sure. I think that Masking Threshold occupies that space for me to where I'm more interested in a story and in a film when there's, you know, buzz against it, because I'd like to know what, what their specific critique is with it. And if it's something that is just... You know, with Masking Threshold, it, we, you know, it's an unconventional story. One, you know, um, we're essentially, you know, live reading a short story um, with some, you know, disturbing imagery of, along the way and, you know, uh, wonderful dialogue. And it's how, for me, how could you not be entertained? Because it's something different, it's something fresh, and everything is well executed. So for me, yes, yeah. as, a, as a standard moviegoer, I absolutely see some red flags. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely, yeah, sure. And you actually can see that it, it's so fun to watch, like to go to Letterboxd oh, and yeah. see now that the release is like uh, so. The, it, it, it it's alternating between like half a star reviews and four star reviews. Yeah, <laughs> and, it's just, and 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 of course the half star reviews are probably like moviegoers who think like, oh yeah, I want to watch a horror film, and then they end up seeing Masking Threshold, and I'm just like, what the fuck? What did I? <laughs> this is like. This was not promised. I, I I expected some Eli Roth here. So what is this? And I mean, I love Eli Roth, but but uh, so so it 
I mean, honestly, here, here. it's let, true. Let me, I mean, it is it is not an easy film. It is not. No, I no, think no. it is an entertaining film yeah. on many on many levels, but it's not. A, a friend of mine said that masking threshold is not a crowd pleaser; it's a crowd pisser. Oh. Uh, and I would say, like that is true. Like if you like being pissed on, you might really enjoy it. <laughs> well, here's the thing: you're you. So okay, the question was: is it an entertaining or a aggravating film mm-hmm. to make people? I would say both. It's both, and, yeah. It is and both. I think the the only problem you're going to have is, you know, film language has been built for a hundred years now, and one of the main things is we always are we know who to root for because they're on screen all the time. Oh yeah, right. The protagonist and your film is almost completely counter to that idea. Oh yeah, where we don't really yeah. see him. So without like a face to like gel with, we only have his ideas. Yeah, it's and and, and, and more, yeah, and most of the characters in the film are only pictures on screens, yep. like the mother, for example. Yeah, so uh, uh, stuff like that. So, so a friend of mine told me he was rooting for the mother, like <laughs> eat, eat your eat your fucking supplements, you know, like and shut yeah. up. You know? <laughs> and and, uh, and I was like, yeah, but it, it's interesting that that people are like trying to cling to certain things that they are known from from watching movies. Yeah, so, and you see the face of the mother a lot in the film, although she's only speaking one one line while she's dying and uh and so spoiler here but uh but <laughs> but but he he felt and i think that's why i chose uh, she, she's a good friend of mine she's uh, she's an austrian actress uh, she lives in austria but she's she's from britain and and i asked her hey can i use and i saw that picture it was a picture that she never used in her in her like uh, photo portfolio that she used in you know like um, advertising reels and stuff like that, and she never had used that photo before. And I asked her, "Hey, can I use that photo? Because that's really how I envision his mother looks like." And she was so happy. Yes, of course, yeah. And and she becomes this like prominent face in the film that never speaks, but but people kind of relate to her. Uh, because she's just like, you know, like nice little old hippie lady that with her. <laughs> and, 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 and he so, so adamantly hates her uh, or, or, or finds her annoying. Uh, and yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I agree. So what I try to do is, and I think that is what most people have. Uh, so it, when I read the reviews, most of the bad reviews on, on Letterboxd I read are about pacing. And pacing, that means it's like, it's such a slow burner. It never really, like, when it takes so long to take off. So people are kind of like waiting for like the explosion. They're waiting for the gore. They're waiting for something. And it's, the film is very exponential. It's like, like this, like this, like this. And then it like goes straight through the roof. And I kind of live deliberately built it like that because I think the film only works if you if you slow down to the pace of the protagonist if you kind of like kind of like slip into his skin if you if you if you're not faster than than he is if you if you kind of like slow so I I need to kind of like slow down the people to his like his thinking process and his and 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 his way of going through the world and then I kind of like Kind of let the uh, the break off, and then and then and then it works. At least for me, that's how I built the film. I'm not sure you you, you see this uh, the same way, but but my idea was like I I need to kind of like 
hit the brakes for some time to be really able to to people to kind of like immerse themselves into into his world. I I don't know if the film would have worked if it was quicker. Because yeah. I think it takes a little bit for people to like for an audience to get calibrated with his thinking. Yep. We need time. And if you were to have like gassed early on in that movie and really get got moving, I think people would have been left behind and they would have got confused and they would have looked at their phone. Yeah. I think you would have I mean, lost he, the audience. He, I mean, th- there's a lot of strange stuff going on until that, but I mean, he kills the he kills the ant around halftime. Now, and that and that and that's when, when people <laughs> and, and that's and that's when people people like he killed the ant. I killed the ant. I did. It's the only. It's the only. The only. The only animal I I killed, and it was like seventy bucks. I really. It's like a very expensive fucking ant. Really, um, seventy dollars for an ant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I because we we shot the film in in Austria, so it was kind of easy for me to bring all the so so the the room where I shot the film is like in my apartment. So I I made this little chamber of horrors in my apartment, <laughs> and and then Flo, who just left for the fucking gym, um, and I were kind of like kind of disappearing in this like little chamber of horrors and and and, and shoot the film there. For a couple of months, every now and then, when we both had time to, to 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 work on the film, and so all the stuff that you see there, I brought that over from Florida. So all like because the Coke bottles look different in Europe, and so I really needed all the stuff like like uh, pencils and and all all the things that you see in the film. I brought them in two or three suitcases over from Florida. So I had all the stuff that I needed, yeah, to put into that 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 room. And where did I actually want to go with this? Where, where? $70, $70 ant. Oh, the $70 ant. Absolutely. And of course, because it's in Florida, I needed ants because I'm a nerd. I needed ants that look like ants that could be from Florida. So I checked online. So where can I order Floridian ants in Europe? And I found this like website, myants.de in Germany. And they were <laughs> selling Floridian harvester ants. And I bought them and I kind of like, I thought I got a whole colony of some kind. So I was expecting to get like a hundred ants or something like that. And, and and I paid like 200 bucks or something like that. And then I ended up with like six or seven ants. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? What is this? Like, Oh man. Uh, and, and then I had to shoot, I had to kind of like reuse the ants because he has like, he's experimenting on the ants like two or three days, but, the, but ants are just like stupid, you know, like ants, like, like his frustration in the film when he complains about the ants and how stupid they are and how they run around and he can't film them because they never stay in focus. It was really the same with me and Flo when we shot the whole thing, because the main thing for the ants was that I built this jail for them with like sticky tape like double-sided sticky tape so they would stay inside that area and we could film them but they tried to kill themselves because what ants do is like they climb on the sticky tape they die on the sticky tape so the next ant can climb over them and also die on the sticky tape so they can form a chain and and make the other uh, make make a way out for the other ants because they're Kind of like they're a hive mind, you know? Teamwork. And, and, and so when I put the ants in their little sticky tape <laughs> prison, they immediately start killing themselves. And I'm like, no, no, you're so expensive. <laughs> Fuck you, ants. I do what I want you to do. 
Uh, suicidal Floridian ants. All right. Oh, no, absolutely, absolutely. So, so I, 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 but I managed to crush one of the ants, which is like a very <laughs> pivotal moment, and I really needed to do that. So, before they killed themselves, I could kill one. So, yeah. Okay. Oh, before we get off the ant topic, I got two questions related to ants. Oh. One. Now, is the ant a metaphor for the working class? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. The suicidal ants in their union. Sometimes, sometimes I think, especially the American working class, is really like fucking ants. You know, like, <laughs> like they're, they're, they're voting for Trump. They're like, like, and Trump is the sticky tape. They climb on the sticky tape and and and, 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 and get stuck there. And oh my god, no! I mean, in, in, in that specific sense, no, no, no. <laughs> No, I mean what? What I mean, there is a political meaning behind behind masking threshold. It's it's about oh, don't don't unwrap that enigma. I want people to go in that with the okay, okay, and okay. figure it out because okay. I really think that is one of the strengths of the film. But now okay. again, as a uh, antifa adjacent provocateur with political <laughs> agenda, were you worried that Peter was going to come after you for crushing this ant? Well, I'm not sure that Peter is so much interested in ants. Oh, I mean, I was honestly, I was honestly thinking of like maybe the other stuff. And I mean, there are some reviews online where people are like, I couldn't watch this. Oh my yeah. God, the are the poor slug and this and that. And they killed the bird. No, I mean, I, I never killed any slugs. I never killed any birds. The only thing I really killed was an ant. And with the ant, I had the feeling of like, nobody would probably come after me <laughs> for, for an ant. Uh, because I mean, this is almost like biblical. Like you, you, you. Who who never killed an ant can can come criticize <laughs> yeah. me, really. Let ye who has killed no ant throw the first stone. And you know, the funny thing is, PETA did they I remember when they went after Obama for swatting a fly. And it's kind oh, of Oh, they like, did. Yeah, they did. Uh, but I mean they also they also call call like uh chicken coops uh kind of like concentration camps yeah, and yeah. bullshit yep. like that. So like fuck PETA, really. So <laughs> well, hey, any press is good press. Well, here's, yeah, here's the thing. Yeah. And that, that's for sure. Now, Johannes, I, I'm uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you would consider yourself part of the left politically, right? I, I would. Some, sometimes it's uh, sometimes it's hard. <laughs> okay, well, earlier you mentioned that you thought horror was pretty conservative at times. And I'm, I'm oh, it still is. It's, it's still that, that I think that horror is per se a very conservative genre. It is. Weird. I mean, just, just think about like all the plot lines of horror films. They're all. I mean, and I'm, I'm, I'm to blame for that because my, my new, my newfound footage-ish film, like Rat's Nest, is, yeah. is also a ghost story. Yeah, but I mean, horror is like the cesspool of like supernatural stuff, you know. Yep. Yeah. And, and and if if people believe in angels and ghosts and demons and all that kind of stuff, it there is also horror films are to blame for that because it's like horror films are kind of like repeating and repeating and repeating this like existence of this like very morality-driven stories about uh, demons and creatures from the beyond and they and it's and it's, it's always like morality plays and people die for having sex in slasher films like even if you're not talking about supernatural things it is very conservative it's a very conservative genre and but i, I like i like to play with that so because on the one hand i think that aesthetically speaking visually speaking horror films are groundbreaking is horror, horror like Horror films did so many things. Like you can go back to Nosferatu, and and see this like wonderful expressionistic, uh, like set designs and stuff like that. So so you see horror films over the decades, and they always were first in 
establishing something that other genres then took over as aesthetical tropes or formats or or visual interesting things, visually in- interesting things. But plot-wise, they are kind of like the repetition of the same. It's almost like it's like Nietzsche, like the, the, the same old, same <laughs> old, same old, you know. And uh, it's, it's but I think I think it's it's interesting to play with that. Yeah, I think you you know. When you first said that, I was trying to think about what you meant. And I think you're correct because, I mean, look at The Conjuring. Like, I think religion and Catholicism is definitely something that horror has pushed. Sure. And I remember reading reviews that the scariest thing The Exorcist had ever done was convince people that God was the only solution. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. I've always looked at horror as being like the narrative for the outcast or it's kind of like, like, what's, what's a complicated one? Like, they live. Like, I feel like you can make an argument that they live is a conservative narrative about working class losing wage. Yeah. Wages. yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, but, absolutely. I, I love, I love they live. It's the one film in movie history with the longest wrestling scene in non wrestling movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and so it, I mean, I mean, John Carpenter specifically chose to use wrestling, uh, like wrestling stars as actors in the film because he wanted to attract people from the working class to see the film. And so, so that, that, that was part of his construction of that emotional machine. And, uh, and, but I mean, it is a very left film. It feels yeah. like, uh, but of course, as always, the problem with that kind of stuff is it is of course, at the same time, a very striking uh message, but at the same time, it's also super reductionist, you know, it is also like, because I mean, you could easily say like the aliens are the Jews, you know, the Jews that control everything, <laughs> and 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 you have this like super anti-Semitic trope of like that, the bankers and uh, yep. are running the world. So this is this all classic like Jewish anti-Jewish stereotyping, you know. Uh, at the same time, you have to find a way to to convey a message, but at the same time, not be so reductionist that suddenly like a QAnon guy would suddenly say like hey they live is an excellent film because there you, there, there you see there you see what's the problem you know yeah. uh, so how do you do that you know yeah see, I, that's what i mean that's why i didn't want you to un- unveil the enigma with master yeah. threshold because even though i feel like you could make a pretty strong argument that they live is conservative to me it always felt like the individual still can rise up against like i don't know a globalist agenda or something like whatever the system is, one individual can still have an impact. And, you know, I feel like that's a completely like left view. It's true. Yeah. But at the same time, it's probably something that Timothy McVeigh told himself for a long time, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, Timmy. <laughs> or, or, or the, the 9-11, the 9-11. Uh, oh, <laughs> you know, it's like it's always like, I mean, the question is like, I think I think one of one of the one of the most hurtful narratives is to say that like one single person can change the world. It's, it hardly ever, ever happens. The pro, the problem is like, so it's always that systems are portrayed as something bad. Systems are something you have to fight. You have to fight the fascist, fascistic system in, in some film. You have to fight the, the aliens and whatever it is. It's always the system is bad and there's one person, usually a guy fighting and, uh, the system and, and, and destroying the system. But, I mean, system is the systems are the things that that keep civilization together. I mean, the health system, all the, is like very intricate 
in, in, like very complex things out there that keep us all alive and that keep civilization working are of course can be abused but but it's still i mean so it, i think it's a very like like reactionary worldview to say that that there is always something that needs to be fought uh because like some strange cabal is running the world or something like that this that, that's always always uh, like like a, a reactionary projection i think because i mean the truth is we are all part of the of, of, of the system called capitalism and we're all to blame for that it's still working because uh, we, we i mean just by me existing i probably kill five people every day but, but <laughs> what 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 how can I get out of that? It's, it's I know it's a, it's a oh my god! It's no, so no, I, that's an interesting. It's an interesting thing too because if I mean we opened up congratulating you about your film being picked up and widely distributed. Exactly, and, yeah. absolutely. And of course, I like that, and of course, I'm I'm someone. But who, five people had to die. <laughs> yes, but but pound of flesh. No, Johannes, I think that's, that's why I have my that's why I have my my froggy. My froggy always tells me, you're doing fine. It's all great. It's all great. The five people don't matter. He's a he's a, he's an evil frog, but uh, well, he's yeah. wearing a black hat. Oh, yeah. He's a pirate. Yeah. 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 And for yeah. people, uh, again, I don't think we're going to be recording video with this. It is clearly a Pepe frog. It's not a pepper. It's not a pepper. But I have to say, he, he is a native of uh, the Bay Area. Oh, uh, oh Pepe, yeah, yeah. Folk, folk manis puppets. Uh, uh, they, he was probably he was made in Emeryville. Uh, oh wow! Yeah. So I mean, I it bought it Pepe. at the Barnes and Nobles. Uh, but but there's and I got interested because I, I I saw that frog and I really fell in love with the frog and I really needed to buy it. So I have it now for two years. And and then I found out that it was made by this like puppet making company called Folkmanis Puppets, and they have this like super interesting variety of different puppets and lobsters and all kinds of weird shit. And they are from uh, they are from Emeryville, California, and uh, okay. just over just over the Bay Bridge. Okay. And uh, and they, they're doing this like seems to be like this like uh, hippie dude started almost like the Muppets, you know, like some hippie dude starts a a, a well running business based on puppets. And uh, well, I invested some money into that company <laughs> and bought the frog. <laughs> well, Johannes, I think it's funny because your um, defense of systems is something I completely agree with. And I think, you know, right now our culture is kind of captured with the idea of destroying all the systems we have. Yet the the fervor that came out of you, I don't think was political. I think it was with your love of technology. And I instantly started thinking back of the early cyberpunk stuff you're talking about. And I'm like, I feel like your argument was coming from like a William Gibson or something where it's like, no, 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 we can't destroy the system. It's more about like subverting it or like, what can we use it for? Like, how can we change this to do something good instead of the evil it's currently carrying? Yeah. I mean, the problem is like, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to get rid of capitalism in one oh, yeah. step, you know, it, it, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. At the same time, it's always like, like it's, how do you, how do you in a certain way, attack it or subvert it without being completely absorbed by it. And um, so I guess that that's, that's the tricky question. Well, you know, Johannes, I like to think of you as, as a type of like type of art house, like Trojan horse. Like I, I think you're bringing in some, some edgy ideas, at least for like the modern culture. 
And I'm not even sure if people really understand it right away. So I, I don't know. I'm really excited to see where your career is going to take you. Um, now, earlier, you mentioned that you started, uh, what, what is the name of it? It's Ars Techno. What, what is it's the Ars, Ars, Ars Electronica. Ars Electronica. Now, <laughs> there, is, there is, by the way, a very well-known media arts festival in Austria called Ars Electronica, but ARS, like arts, ARS Electronica. And so we, 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 we started this festival because at Ars Electronica, I had the feeling of like, there's, there's this media art festival going on for 30 years, but they never, ever talked about technology and sex yeah. And it's so obvious that like pornography and, and, and technological innovation is in some way connected also to pleasure and sexuality. So, and we thought like, this is just like not good. We, we, let's do a one time little festival and call it Ars Electronica just to make fun of the whole thing and talk about, invite people to talk about the, the historic dimension of sex and technology. And we did that in San Francisco because we thought it's a, it's, it's a good location to do that. And, <laughs> and then it, and then it, uh, because all the nerds, all the sex positivity, yeah. uh, gay culture, queers, you know, like all, all the stuff, you know, and, and then we did it once. And so many people in San Francisco said, Oh my God, it took a couple of weird Austrians to do that finally. Mm -hmm. So, so it really worked well. And we did it for, for 10 years or something like that. Uh, until we couldn't afford to do it in San Francisco anymore because we can't afford renting a space for 400 people anymore. Oh, no. Yep. Like it's, uh, it's, uh, so we, we stopped it in, in 2015. We had like one or two smaller ones, uh, but it was unaffordable. And now we are kind of like touring around with it. So we're going to Berlin once and then we go to London. So it's not in, in the Bay Area anymore, but, but uh, yeah, but the, but the idea was to, to somehow, tackle that and ask the question of like how sex and technology is 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 related and that that's also related to my personal history because i remember like in i don't know like in the in the late 80s or early 90s when when i when i could download my first porn online i did download my first porn picture online and it was only 320 times 200 pixels and it was black <laughs> and white and you could hardly see anything and it took 6 hours to download on a long distance call from Austria to Germany. <laughs> and if you, and, and, and my dad had to pay probably like 1500 bucks for that fucking like GIF image. <laughs> and, 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 and he found out about it. And he said like, fuck, we have like 200 porn magazines in the basement. Why did you waste 1500 euros? I mean, back then it was shillings because we didn't have euros back then, but why did you waste 1500 euros on a fucking porn image where I can't even see anything. <laughs> and, even, and, and it didn't even like, for me, it, it was, it was more the process of downloading it and knowing that I will be watching porn. Uh, I mean, I jerked off like, like after like five minutes, <laughs> just like there was even like there was one line on the screen, you know, <laughs> and, and I was already done, you know, all text. Like so, but, but that's the, I think that's the interest. Like, uh, I mean, if, if there's something to learn from that story is that people are very obsessive and that people are uh, like, will do a lot of things to fulfill their kinks or the things that they're interested in. So, so, and, and I, I think they're, they're, they're interesting and in positive ways more and more so nowadays to channel that 
energy creatively and in interesting ways. And, and Arts Electronica was, was part of that or is still part of that because we really like the do-it-yourself approach to things of building your own sex toys. And I mean, especially like if you talk about the whole trans community, et cetera. I mean, there are so many, I mean, like the regular sex toys uh, being built somewhere in 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 working class gulags in China or something like that. They, they're not catering for that uh-huh. clientele. So like, like if, if you have very specific body needs as a trans person, et cetera, I mean, most of the time, the only thing you can do is build it yourself or find someone who builds it for you, you know? So, so I, I like that approach of like hands-on, getting dirty, building your own machines and technologies and and things. And I, I, in general, with with all my art or 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 projects that I do, I like to do as much of the things myself. For example, it was for masking threshold. It was incredibly complicated to get all the macro shots because if even if you have a tripod, tripod, uh, and film the ends or film whatever you want to enlarge you kind of have to find a very specific technique of not breathing because the moment you breathe and you stand on the same ground as the tripod with the camera in that enlargement, it's just moving all the time. It's just like shaking. So, so it it was interesting to find interesting hacks by, by using certain techniques, technology, like with the technology and also certain techniques on ourselves to kind of like, I kind of learned to hold my breath for a long time. So I would get, steady images <laughs> of the macro shots and uh and, and stuff like that so i think like filmmaking is problem solving and that's really the fun aspect of it i think well you know look and i think it's fortunate for you that that's your path that you had to take in cinema where Werner herzog you know nearly fell off a mountain and you know we got Kinski yeah. with you know 30 monkeys on a raft so you know oh, yeah. good job you won Oh, yeah, yeah. Hold on. No, no. I, have, I have like, and, and, and with, and with Rot's Nest, my, my, my new film, I kind of, it's also my, my, my little, my little temple for at least certain elements of, of Werner Herzog, uh, in, 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 uh, in there. Because, uh, I mean, if, if you compare it to, to Masking Threshold, Masking Threshold is a very straightforward, uh, a, a drama with, with elements of, 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 of black humor, but, but very, homeopathic doses of, of black humor in, in, in masking threshold and rot's nest is at least the first half an hour straightforward comedy and satire yeah. about art house films and and the film the film scene and, and and film reviewers and film journalists and stuff like that and then it morphs into into horror uh but but uh i i it, I, it was fun to put a lot of my favorite quotes by Werner Herzog and other filmmakers in in that film, and or or like twist it a little bit or or play with it. So so why, I yeah. So I think I'm one of the few people on the planet who saw all the Werner Herzog films, all of them. <laughs> oh, congratulations! <laughs> now, okay, Johannes. Some is hard. Some is hard, but oh know, yeah, dude, uh, Johannes, you're such an interesting dude. I I promise we'll let you go soon. And I know we didn't really talk about Rosin Nest. I for I know a lot of found footage fans listen to this. Um, I what? highly recommend that you check that film out. He's doing something that I've talked a lot about where, you know, one of the things I love about found footage is the haunted artifact. Like, what if you actually were holding the film reel that contained the Blair Witch? And, you know, in the modern age, there's this whole media that never gets touched on, which is like Blu-rays or DVDs. And there's an element to that 
which is the bonus features. And it's like, you know, if we're holding the haunted artifact with somebody who was a collaborator in whatever horror took place, they might have some input on the Blu-ray. And one of the most overlooked elements of a found footage potential movie would be the commentary track where you actually have somebody who was there, a part of it kind of giving you their rundown of um, kind of uh, the footage that you're left with. And dude, Johannes, I'm so glad that you veered into this lane where masking threshold. We had to have a conversation over whether it was found footage or not. The resin nest felt made for us. So it's right there. I highly recommend people check it out, but I know we're keeping Johannes long and I have 10 oh, questions. I it's all fine. Ones. It's all fine. I'm, I'm just waiting for the POP to come back from the gym. <laughs> so he had fine. the right idea. He saw us appear on the Zoom call and said, no, I'm making an excuse. And he wanted to bounce. I totally get it. No, he's he's super obsessed with with. Uh, so it, it's strange because he's a really great like Thor, and I I I I, I love him to death. So so and I uh, so my my last two films, uh, actually also hacking at least the documentary uh, I, I'm working on right now. Like like he's the DOP on that one, and he was the DOP on, on Masking Threshold, but also. Uh, one of three DOPs, uh, a little team of DOPs on on, on Rat's Nest, and uh, he's, he's he's just a great guy. And uh, and so now that we're in the states for two weeks because of uh, Fantastic Fest, and now in in LA because I I, I did a Q and A two days ago at the Alamo Draft House here in LA for the theatrical release of, of Masking Threshold. So he thought like I I want to join you for all of that, and, and it, it's it's a fun time. And whenever he's at home. He's being bombarded by people who want to work with him and do stuff, yeah. and he's making a music video here and there, and uh, so so he can't really turn off. And so for the last two weeks, and now here in LA, he kind of has vacation, <laughs> and he decided to spend at least half of that vacation time in gyms and swimming and being in the pool. And I, I'm not judging him. Like, take <laughs> your well-deserved vacation flow, whatever you want to do. Burn your fucking calories wherever you like. I, I support your burning of calories. <laughs> well, you know, most directors create a vehicle for actors to really have a uh, spotlight put on them. But with your films, you've really made the director of photography the highlight. Like his God, both films are strikingly beautiful. And that's the thing about Masking Threshold is it's this brutal contrast. It's this stark juxtaposition of a mad scientist kind of like toiling over fantastic, beautiful imagery. Yeah. It, yeah. So I mean, the, the idea was always like, I knew when I worked, worked with, with Flo, I knew that all the pictures or many of them, you could actually print them out and hang them on your wall because they're so, so shiny. Yeah? And there's, you're right. There is a strange, there is a strange disconnect between what the guy says and his worldview <laughs> and the craziness and the beauty of it, you know, like that, what of the stuff that you see. And uh, yeah, I liked it a lot. <laughs> okay. Johannes, I got two questions for you. One, um, you, you speak so eloquently of technology and you having a tech sex festival. It's, it's just a perfect, I feel like we're just on the brink where we're, we're right at opening some weird door where like Giger's dreams are going to come true. And with like oh VR where it is and hardware and sex dolls, like I feel like I, I, it seemed like your festival, you haven't done it in a while. Are you going to bring it back? 
Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the main reason why we haven't done it in the last two years was, of course, COVID. Uh, yeah. And, you know, like sex technology festivals are kind of, it sounds so strange, but they're very hands-on. You're like, you want to touch. You know, <laughs> yeah, but you, you want you want to touch the weird machineries and stuff like that, and maybe even try it out. So I've seen weird. I I've seen weird things glitter in the dark. You know, uh, near the townhouse <laughs> gates, uh, like, well, yeah. like 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 uh, uh, gallons of lube. I've seen gallons of lube glitter in the dark <laughs> near the townhouse gate. Uh, well, do something. I mean, you know, time to get on. Uh, and <laughs> so, so, so that I, I think it, it, it's weird to see that there is a lot of talk. So, like, we started in 2007 with with Ars Electronica, and that was already a time. You know, like it was around the time that YouTube started. So, it, like, I mean, it's a completely different world nowadays. You go on YouTube and you can find your do-it-yourself tutorial to build a, a sex machine or something like that but there hasn't been so much uh interesting innovation in the last couple of years so there is a lot of talk about there's a lot of projection for example um uh jasmine my 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 partner she's running the porn film festival in vienna okay. and uh and she she also gets lots of interesting weird things to see and she's now she got hired to do this little like 15 minute documentary about uh about kind of like feminine sex robots and it's almost like this like feminine it should be this feminist critique of 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 sex machines and you know, like real dolls that talk to you stuff like that yeah mm-hmm. and i completely agree that it's this like hypersexualized feminine like dolls they're kind of weird but at the same time there are not that many out there it's almost like people are trying to formulate a critique of something and like an uh, an anti-patriarchal critique of course and I, mm-hmm. I i i agree with that but it's almost like people want hypersexualized AI driven sex bot to exist so they can criticize them for <laughs> existing, you know, but they yeah. are not really there. There are no, like, I mean, there are real dolls. That's right. But yeah. nobody wants to fuck a real doll that talks to you because it's fucking creepy. You know, like it's just like, this is not, this is, this is weird. So it's almost like there is this like strange wish of like we do not want this to happen but it is not happening because the technology is not not good enough and i'm pretty sure it will not be good enough for a long time because the main problem is not the ai aspect or it or the movement but the texture if you touch latex you touch latex and you immediately know that it's not real so like and and sexuality is something so yeah as i said like hands-on and 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 um and haptic, you know, yeah, you, yeah. T- you touch a sex to- toy and you know it is not real. And it's kicking you out of the fantasy pretty much immediately. Uh, if you're into something like a realistic looking uh, like Android, you can have sex with or something. So if we do not like find a solution for new material. So the material side of sex technology is the big problem. If we don't get something like realistically feeling skin in the next years i mean that thing is not going anywhere and it will just be some some weird side effect of technological innovation so i mean the the material side the haptic side is is the big problem nowadays and i'm not seeing that anything will like like real affordable artificial skin will be out there very soon 
Yeah. So, okay. The people that are into sex dolls are more into the fact that they're a sex doll. Because it's funny that you brought up Bad Dragon earlier, which yeah. dragon dildos, which couldn't be further from reality. Yeah. But they're, they're like, let's say like they're, they're kind of like aspects of sexuality. Yeah. You're, 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 you're using certain tools in your foreplay, in your, in your sexual plays and whatever it is. It's never like the, the, the one thing that people are always afraid of is like, what will happen if we will have have these like realistic looking hyper feminist uh, robots that walk around like I don't know like the, like the Stepford wives or something yeah. like that? We are so far away from the fucking Stepford wives <laughs> as possible, you know. And and it's it's almost like yeah, we don't want this, we don't want this, we don't want this, which is good to not want it, but it is unrealistic anyway. So why why are you kind of like conjuring up that? Yeah. Why are you putting that kind of, of of fear into people's heads? And you might even end up with some fucked up Elon Musk guy who really wants to like pump a billion dollars into that thing to really make it happen. So th that is the the strange side effect of that kind of stuff. I think that the world is so fucked nowadays because of big tech companies. It's because they were all they're all run by geeks of my generation who didn't get the message that Robocop is a satire and not a blueprint for the future, you know? <laughs> damn. God damn it. Johannes, we're going to have to bug you to come back on. Anyways, I was going <laughs> sure. to ask you one more question. It was going to be a hacky joke about NFTs, but honestly, I, I feel like I, I don't want to burn a question on that. Instead, <laughs> I want to ask you a real question. Now, sex and tech is the last one I promised, Clark. Um, where do you think ASMR falls in there? Because oh. as far as like sex tech, like it's a thing that happened through technology. I think it could only happen with microphones, amplified audio, a, you know, people like meeting remotely on like YouTube, yeah. but also there's, it's clearly arousing to people, but almost that culture wants to push that whole identity yeah. away from it. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not sure. I haven't I haven't read up on the whole ASMR thing. It was definitely part of like like constructing uh, uh, masking threshold, but I didn't want to get into the whole aspect of like the, the the arousal or sexual aspect of that stuff in masking threshold. That's why I deliberately made the guy almost like a monk, and he says like this is his libido is nil and all that stuff. So I kind of yeah. wanted to get out of the way because that opens up a can of worms or dildos or whatever that, that I didn't want to have in, in, in masking thresholds. But I mean, as far as I understand that ASM, isn't ASMR complete like pseudo pseudoscience stuff? Yeah, I don't know. Is, is there, is there, it, it, it's not really a thing, isn't it? Well, <laughs> like, like a factual thing. I mean, there's a community around it, but I mean, there are communities around frogs, you know, but, <laughs> but, but as, as far as I understand, is there even like a scientific like aspect that's real to ASMR? I don't know. You know, it's got a complicated acronym, which I think helps people yeah. think that it's scientific. But at the end of the day, the best like critique of it I've ever heard was people are like, oh, it gives me tinglies. Yeah. Like when yeah. I hear it, it makes me tingle. And but I, I was, you know, I asked you this because I, I mean, it, it, it gives me tinglies when I see Sigourney Waver wanting to nuke something from orbit. So, <laughs> so, so, so 
I mean, there are so many things that gives people tinglies. I'm not sure that is <laughs> justification. For anything. Yeah. Okay. So that's your homework for next time we have you on. Yeah, that's I good. Mean, that's good. I will read up on ASMR <laughs> and I will, I, I will, I will, I will give you my. It's it's almost like in this like feminist uh, reading circles and stuff like that. So until next year. Uh, until next week, you read uh, Judith Butler, and then we'll talk about it. You know? Oh, dude! Yeah, I'm writing yeah. it down. No, yeah. I, I, dude, I love it. You're honest. You're such an interesting dude. Um, how can people? How can I follow you online? Do you have like social oh, media at all? I have a very strange, uh, a strange name that sounds like a war crime, and uh, you can find that very easily online. Grenzfurt. <laughs> I'm the only person with that name on the planet, besides my dad, who luckily is not online. And uh, uh, so, so you can definitely just like. If you Google my name, you'll find me on Twitter. You'll find me on Instagram. You'll find me on all the, all the wonderful social networks that enhance our future. <laughs> one on one. Uh, Johannes, this was a this was great, man. Uh, congratulations on all your success. Congratulations on, uh, you know, being bros with Tim League. You know, oh, getting, oh. getting the fantastic fest back to back years. Good job, man. And we're just. Uh, we're happy to see you move forward and uh, we're going to be in the seats watching, man. Thank you so much. And I hope that I will be able at one time to be at your wonderful festival in person. I would love to do that. We'd love to have you. Indeed. You got to come out here with some sex tech too. <laughs> a little example. We'll set up a booth. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. That's dude, it. <laughs> you're the coolest dude. Thanks for hanging out, man. Thanks, man. Thank you so much. You, you, you're all doing a great job. Keep keep going. Uh, keep, keep spreading the good word. And there's this old punk saying from from uh, from from Germany in the 1980s: "The good forces cannot be kept apart." I have the feeling I met some really cool 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 folks today. Dude, that's it. That's the coolest thing anybody's ever said to us. <laughs> Love you, Johannes. Dude, Thanks, you're man. the best. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Overlook Hour. And if you would like to hear more please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your podcatcher of choice is. And while you're there, go ahead and give us a rating and or a review, which is a very easy way for you to support this show uh, that we bring to you every week for years now, free of charge. And as always, you can find us on YouTube at The Overlook Theater, Instagram at The Overlook Theater, Facebook at The Overlook Hour, and Twitter at The Overlook Hour. Last but not least, you can send us your emails and tell us how much you like or dislike the show at overlookhour at gmail.com. And if you're nice, maybe we'll uh, read them on the show. I've been your engineer, Randy Statt. Please join me along with Clark, Russell, and Oksana again next time. Bye. <laughs>